You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Well, good morning, Real Life. Uh, You know, truly, I do love this uh, second service crowd because you're my people. I've said this once before, but those get a chance to sleep in and just take their time. Like, it's still morning. Like, the morning people, like, this is like now they're like afternoon and active time. I'm like, you guys are me. This chill, like, still sleepy a little bit. If you take a nap, you're not going to offend me at all. I'm okay with that. Uh, so, just give you, like, a little bit. So, if you're new with us this morning, uh, my name is Alex Little. I am the children's pastor. I am not the lead pastor, and I am actually rarely ever on the stage. I think I co-preached once in the last 14 years. And so, I haven't single, like, preached by myself since, I don't know, 14 years ago. Uh, so yes, I've, uh, so I was telling people like, people's responses to like fear, stuff like that, you know, your, your fight, flight, and freeze. I'm totally a freeze person. So like last night, I'm like, I'm gonna go to bed early. Like, <laughs> this is how I'm gonna handle my stress. I'm just gonna go sleep. Uh, so, but what I wanna say is if you're new here, please come back next week. Uh, so Thad, our lead pastor, he's been in Israel, and I'm looking forward to um, all the stuff that he's learned and also what God's been doing in his life. Uh, our church is kind of in this transition of uh, becoming its own separate church from Moscow. And I just like, my, my belief is that God is doing things in Thad's life to help us in that direction as we were going. So he'll be back uh, next week, and hopefully he won't have jet lag. He'll be ready to go. So Adam McEldry, our home group's uh, pastor, started off our new series last week. It's called Forever Changed. So what we're doing during the summertime is that we're looking at these different characters, these different people in the Bible that had an interaction with Christ, an interaction with Jesus. And because of the interaction, their lives have been changed. So our hope is that, what we, know, we know summertime, like I've been around... Pullman now for quite a while. I've been coming to real life since it started. I've been on staff for like nine years. Hopefully this will be not my last Sunday. And, uh, and, uh, but I know one thing about summertime is we go from like 450 people down to like 200 in like one week. It's crazy. Uh, because people have vacations, things are going on. So as a children's pastor though, what I say is make memories with your kids. Like skip a Sunday, go make memories. I'm not good at it myself sometimes. I'm like, what's this? keep going, keep going, and then the summertime's over, and like, what happened this summer? Uh, but it's good to make memories with your kids so they can look back upon and see how these fond memories of their family. It brings you close together. So I know that you're going to skip a Sunday. It's going to happen. So you can catch the sermons online, and the idea is that each one of these sermons is standalone. So if you miss a Sunday, you're not going to miss anything, but you can still catch the sermon. I think I'm going to try to pay one of the guys to delete my sermon. Like, it accidentally just disappeared. Uh, so you guys are lucky to be here for it. So I have the, I'm looking at Nicodemus today. So Nicodemus, so how, so how I want to start this off is kind of give you a little bit of a history of what's going on with Jesus and Nicodemus and Israelites. So at this time in history, Rome has conquered Israel. Rome is ruling over Israel, which not everybody likes. And so we have five people groups that are part of Israel. So we have the Pharisees, which is, who is what Nicodemus is part of. We have the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, and the Herodians. So they all answer the question of what do we do about Rome? And each one of them answers it differently. 
So the Pharisees, they answered the question what to do about Rome by saying like, well, if we just follow the law exactly and everybody follows the law exactly, that God will come back and God will take care of us. Sadducees say like, well, let's control the whole religious and make a lot of money off of it. Because they were all about profit. Sadducees are the ones that actually ended up killing Jesus. Like that was that group. They're like, Jesus is interfering with us making money. Let's get rid of him. So we have the Essenes. The Essenes are the group that moved off into the desert. They're like, who's Rome? I don't know who Rome is because we're off in the desert doing our own thing. And then we have the Zealots who were like, we are going to fight. We're going to use violence to get rid of Rome. And that did not work out well for them. And then we have the Herodians where it's like, we love Rome. We love their Hellenistic ways. Let's join them. And then let's grab political power along the way and also make a lot of money too. So I grew up with this idea that Pharisees are kind of mean, critical, and kind of stupid people. <laughs> I kind of imagine them like uh, the, the mean girls in the hallway at high school, like that group. They kind of were snotty and walked around with their noses up in the air and were a little dizzy. That's kind of how I imagine them. Because I hear all these stories over and over again when Jesus interacts with the Pharisees and he's like, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. And so through kind of like last couple of years, as more I looked at the Pharisees, they're not stupid people. Not at all. Nicodemus we're looking at today, um, he's one of more of the leaders. He's part of a group called the Sanhedrin, which had been like their kind of ruling council. So he's, which is funny because Pharisees care about law and Nicodemus is all about law and ruling council. Like he's like a Pharisee of Pharisees, like all about that. And so my guess would be that Nicodemus probably had the whole first five books of the Bible memorized, the Torah. Anybody here memorize the first five books? First, yeah, first three sentences, maybe. Um, and then he probably also had the majority of the Old Testament memorized, like the majority of the Old Testament memorized, if not all of it. So he was a leader among leaders within the Pharisees. Like they were a group that was so dedicated to the scripture. They were dedicated to the Torah. Like we are going to live it out. And so what they ended up doing was they ended up creating more laws around laws. So because they wanted to stay pure. Because in their history, they look at like Babylon. So at the end of the Old Testament, we have the Israelites that were captured and some of them were taken away to Babylon. Some of them stayed. But Babylon ruled over, over them. The question is like, so why did Babylon... Why did God let Babylon take them over? Well, it's because of their sin, their idolatry, what happened to them. So God used this other country to change them. And so the Pharisees like, we're like, this is happening again. We know how to make this stop. We know how to have God come back and rescue us. It's about being obedient. So they take a law and make laws around laws over and over again so that they did not break the law. They were super assessed with being clean, not like washing physically, but about following the laws that talk about cleanliness. Like they're going to do everything to be clean. And so I, one of the things I say to my kids is you can show your love to me by obeying me, being obedient. Like if you want to show your love to your mom and dad, please obey us. Well, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were trying to be obedient to God as much as possible. But what happened also in the mix is when they look around at other people, they bring up like tax collectors 
and sinners and prostitutes. Those were the people, the reason why Rome was still under, or Israel was under Roman's occupation. Those are the people why God has not come back yet. So we change them, we change our future. So they were hard on them. They needed them to change because they wanted Israelite, Israel to be its own. They wanted freedom from Rome. So we're going to look at uh, John 3 here. John 3 is our first introduction to Nicodemus. So now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So we start getting this picture of Nicodemus. And I really want to, bring ideas, like Nicodemus is a, a well-known teacher of the law. Like his question about being born again, where we might go like, that sounds dumb. Of course you can't be born again physically. What are you thinking, Nicodemus? But whatever Jesus is telling him, like it's whole, so hard for him to comprehend. My uh, four-year-old son came to me yesterday. I was sitting at the dining room table. And he climbs in the seat next to me. And he looks at me and says, Dad, do frogs have hearts? Like, yeah, frogs, frogs have hearts. And he's like, does Jesus live in frog's heart? <laughs> I'm like, no, no, Jesus doesn't live in frog's heart. Like he lives in our heart. And you could see this puzzled look on his face. I'm like, so I try to like, okay, if frogs and people have physical hearts that beat our blood. Um, but when Jesus lives, he lives kind of in us. And like, I'm like, do you get what I'm saying? He's like, yep. And then he left. I can now, like, I did a horrible job explaining about that piece of it. I should have said something to like, like Jesus. Well, Dawson's a heavenly thing, so it's not an earthly thing. I don't know what something should. But at the same time, like he's just at age, he just didn't comprehend yet. Like he just didn't understand yet. So whatever Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and I do believe that Jesus interacts with us at times in our life where we need to hear something. We may not understand it now, but at some point in our life, we will understand it. And I'll make an argument for later on that Nicodemus does get what Jesus is saying. But I want to start off in Genesis 3, in the, uh, verse 1, some things I want to point out. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. 
sorry, when our worship pastor, he made this joke about Nick at night. Um, really bad joke. And now it's stuck in my head. I'm sorry. I got to share that with you now. Uh, so he came to Jesus at night. So there's two ways of looking at this. One is that he did, the Nicodemus didn't want to see, didn't want other people to see what he was doing. Uh, another one is that Jesus, or Nicodemus, we just wanted time with Jesus himself. And so if we back up into Genesis, or into John 2, um, what Jesus just did, so it's Passover is going on right now during this time. And Jesus looks at the temple and they have all these booths set up that were selling stuff in the Gentile courts. The Gentile courts are the place of where the Gentiles can go to worship God. And they're filled with all these tables and filled with people selling stuff. So Jesus makes this whip and beats them and sends them out. And people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who has authority? You don't have authority to do this. Who gave you authority to do this? So part of my belief is like how this lines up with Nicodemus coming to Jesus is that Nicodemus is like, what are you doing, Jesus? Like it says here, like he said, calls him rabbi and he calls him that he's a teacher from God. Like we see the signs that you've done. It has to be from God. These miracles that you do, they have to be from God. But what in the heck are you doing? Why are you caring about these Gentiles? You don't need to care about these Gentiles. Like you need to care about making people clean, making people right. Why are you making more room for Gentiles to come in? And so I think my, my opinion, and it could go either way, that he wanted to hide a little bit what he was doing, um, or that he wanted to have this conversation with Jesus with all, all these other people around. So Nicodemus didn't have to perform at all. Like you just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Christ. And so as we look into this verse, go to the next slide. So one... There's a thing called remez. Um, I know Aaron and Marty have both preached on remezes in the past, but if you haven't heard of the word remez, it's what it is, it's a rabbinical way of teaching that there is a quoting of the Old Testament that refers to a passage um, into the Old Testament, a broader idea of it. So Jesus is saying something to Nicodemus that's going to make Nicodemus go, oh, that's in the Old Testament. Like, I've read that before here, 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 and here. And so how I look at it, we have actually like two masters talking of scripture. We have two people that really know scripture very, 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 very well. And so I, in my own like study, like I've, I think I've seen like three or four different remezes in here. There's probably actually much more than that in the small little passages of scripture that Nicodemus is like, okay, Jesus is talking about this and he's talking about this. How does that work? And so one of the ones I want to bring up to you is, so I heard this rabbi talking about the Exodus. So like right now they're in Passover, which I think is like really cool that this, Jesus is bringing this thing up and it's in the middle of Passover. So Passover is a celebration of when in the Exodus, when the, um, the angel of the Lord passed over the houses that had the door frame and blood. And so the firstborn survived in that house and the f people that didn't have the, the blood around the door frame, um, that their firstborn children were killed. And so Israel celebrates this idea of Passover. So on the Exodus, we're, as like a, a Western thinker, thinker, we like points. Like if God tells us to do something, we just do it, right? Like, okay, God said it, so we do it. For Israelites, they look at this like, why is God asking us to put blood around our doorframe? Like, what is he trying to tell us about himself? Because he's trying to tell us something. What is it? And so we have two parts of the Exodus that kind of go hand in hand. So we have the Israelites leaving out of this doorframe that has blood on it, and also going through the Red Sea which in this passage you talk about wind coming out of nowhere 
and where the Red Sea was parted, and there's a wind that dried up all the water, so they walked on dry path. So birth, there's two things in birth, blood and water. So as this rabbi was talking about the story of Exodus, he was even using this phrase, born again, like the Israelites were born again at this time, because the Israelites were in slavery. They're enslaved to Egypt. They were obeying Egypt rules, laws. They were following their idols. They were slaves to Egypt. And then uh, Moses came, God came, and rescued him from it. And so the rabbi looked at it, it's like that Israelites were born again at that moment. So they go off into the desert to be transformed, and right away they obeyed God, right? Everything was good. Like, no, no, no. Uh, one of my favorite stories that Marty told me is that he took a group of uh, college students into the desert. So he was in Egypt, and it was like 115 degrees. And so prior to that, they were talking about the story, and these college students were like, man, Israelites whined so much. They whined, and they whined, and whined. So Marty brought them out, walked them into the desert, you know, not very far, 150 degree weather, and what's the first thing they did? Whined. <laughs> Of course, it's so hot out there. But there's something about that Jesus brought these people out for a new birth, to change them, to get Egypt out of them. So my mind, if Nicodemus is kind of thinking the same direction, that God is doing something, that Jesus is doing something about a new birth, that there needs to be something new. So it was pretty normal for someone that wanted to become um, a Jew. And when they go through to do two things, they'd be immersed in water, Sounds familiar. And it'd also be circumcised. If you're a female, it's just immersion. But think of like a 30-year-old man that wants to become a Jew. Like, doesn't sound like much fun. But th that reference of being immersed in water and being cleaned and coming out was also the idea of being born again. That person was being born again. But Nicodemus, he's already Israelite. He's already a Jew. Like, he's already part of the family of God. Like, why would the... Jewish people need to be born again. But there's something that Jesus is doing and something Jesus is saying to him that needs to be anew, that needs to be different, and Nicodemus is not quite getting it yet. And so let's go ahead and look at John 7. So we get just a little bit more of who... So there's actually three scriptures that have Nicodemus in it, and this is the second one. When they heard these words, some of the people said... This really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of you, the authorities of the Pharisees, bleed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So we see Nicodemus standing up for Jesus. And in if it talks about the idea that the Pharisees, not, none of the Pharisees followed Christ, I'm just going to lump Nicodemus into that picture, that Nicodemus still at this time wasn't following Christ. There wasn't this change that happened to his life yet. Here we're going to talk about, and the next picture we see of Nicodemus is in John 19. 
After these things, Joseph of Marathia, he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Okay. This passage shows that Nicodemus had a huge change in his life. A huge change, a drastically different from what a Pharisee would do. First thing we have is that Nicodemus bought 75 pounds, and some of your Bibles might say 100 pounds. It matters if you're talking about Roman or our understanding of pounds today. But whatever it was, it was a lot of spices. So someone that was well-known, respected along, among the Jews, I think the, the most I read was like someone had bought like 40 pounds of spices for that body. Jesus had enough spices to be seen as a king. The amount of spices bought was for a king. So Nicodemus right there is saying that, Jesus, you're my king. I see you as a king. In front of all these people, the other Pharisees, Sadducees, He's telling the, the world around him that Jesus is my king. And the second part, which I think is even more drastic, is much different, is that Nicodemus buried Jesus. He wrapped him. So Numbers 11, I believe, talks about if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. Pharisees would not touch a dead body. Not all. They were sticklers about the rule. Like if you go to Israel today and there are, um, there are elevators on the Sabbath because you're not allowed to make a fire on the Sabbath, like the elevators stop and start on every floor so you don't have to push a button. Like they are so care so much about following the law. So this Numbers passage 11 is like, Nicodemus knows that he'll be unclean. Not only that is right now, it's also Passover. So Jesus and the disciples spent the first day of Passover, 11 bread and having the meal. So after the, that, that day, there's like seven more days of festival. There's seven more days of eating and drinking and hanging out and having fun and being part of the whole festival there. And what Nicodemus does is when he touches Jesus' body, he becomes unclean for seven days. No longer can he be part of it. Remember, he's like a teacher. He's like very respected. Like this is his festival. This is his party. He could probably go anywhere he wanted to and be taken care of. He chose to touch the body of Christ, to bound him, to wrap him up out of respect. So here's my speculation. Let's go back to uh, John 3, the very end of it. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is my speculation. This is what I think. That Nicodemus Demas was there when Jesus was crucified. He saw the Son of Man lifted up and he remembered what Jesus had told him. And he finally got it. He finally understood that he had this change in his life. There's another passage that I think John 3 is also talking about. So Ezekiel 36. 
I will take you, take from you a nation and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. So this is the idea that Jesus talked about being born again, about water and spirit. This passage brings up this idea of a new heart that your heart is made out of stone, I'll make you a heart out of flesh. Because what the Israelites or the, the Pharisees did through this is as much as they obeyed the rules, they forgot God's rule. So as much as I talk about my kids like wanting to be obedient to me, there's something special about when my kids love their siblings. For one, they're not fighting, which I don't have to worry about. But there's something about when my kids doing something to go out of their way to take care of their brother or their sister. There's something the Pharisees missed when they wanted to obey the law. Because when Jesus sent up the law, he sent up in two ways, love God and love people. And you can't separate those two. So most of Jesus's dialogue in the gospels is actually with the Pharisees. My opinion is, I think, because they're so close to understanding because they wanted to see God come. They wanted to see God there. They wanted to show God love and they wanted to do it out of obedience. They were so close and they just kept missing it by a little bit because Jesus is like, what about these people? What about these people that are hurting? What about these people that need my compassion? You're forgetting about them. The whole law summed up an idea of loving these people also. And I believe that Nicodemus, willing to become unclean, making Christ his Lord, his King, came to that conclusion. So I have some, a couple points I want to bring up here. Are you continually looking at Jesus' teaching and letting it affect your life? Are you live out your faith? What situations do you see in your life where you need to ask God what you ought to do. Sometimes it's easier, the idea of just tell me what rule to follow. Sometimes it seems very simple. Like, please just, just lay it out there. I don't know the right answer. Give me the right answer, what to do. So I'm good. So I'm doing the right thing. Because we want to do the right thing, right? Like, we like the desire to do the right thing. We're pretty easy at knowing what not to do. And we still do it anyways. But we're also good. we want to know what the right thing is. Like where the Pharisees made rules and rules and rules and rules and rules. Let's take this situation. Let's make a rule about this. What about this on the Sabbath? What about this? What about this? Maybe you should ask God what you should do with the situation right now in your life to make that change. Maybe he actually wants to interact with you and help you walk you through it. How to love him and how to love others in the midst of that. Are you just talking about God? Or are you talking with God. And there's a huge difference between these two. Like my world is church. 
I've grown up in it. It's my job. Hopefully it still is my job. Um, It's really easy sometimes to lose your own faith, your own walk with God, even though you are learning and studying and doing some of the right things. Because we forget there's supposed to be this interaction with God. Like it's not just head knowledge. I mean, the Pharisees got it. The idea of like what study, what study, what study, what study, what study, what study. But they missed it out because they forgot this part. Like you need to have a relationship with God. Where is God asking you to take a risk to live a different future? So one of my favorite quotes is this. Choices create habits. Habits create character. Character creates destiny. So you're serving communion. Go ahead and grab a tray. Our uh, communion is open. If you believe that Jesus is your, your Lord and your Savior, please join us. So choices create habits, habits create character, and character creates destiny. In your life right now, what choices do you start making to create a new destiny for yourself? Because imagine you can look back and go, like, I am at the place I am right now because of a choice I made a while ago. I've become the person I am at this moment in my life because of these choices I made a while ago. And what we're invited into is to start making some new choices today that creates a destiny. My, my dad's in the room today. And so my dad and my life are drastically different. I grew up in the church. I think I was born at church. Like, day one, I'm there. Like, I've probably missed maybe like, I don't know, not that many Sundays in my whole life. My dad, on the other hand, like he was born to a family that did not go to church. Like he was early on in his childhood, he was an alcoholic. It was only through God actually speaking to him that his life was changed. But it doesn't matter where my dad came from or where I came from, we both have choices to make that creates a new destiny for us. But you can have a new destiny. What I love about the story of Nicodemus is we have him about year one of Jesus' ministry and the last year of Jesus' ministry. So about three, two to three years that we have to see Jesus, or see Nicodemus. It's not day one Nicodemus changes. It takes three years of him learning from Christ. Because imagine he was still hearing what Christ was teaching. Imagine he was still around what Jesus was saying. Our walk with God is a, a process. The problem that sometimes we walk into, and this is where this message for me has convicted me, is that sometimes we just kind of stop making those changes that we need. The road that God has us on is still going. It's easy to get distracted and get off of it. And we need a moment in our life to be born again. So my last question is, where is God asking you to take a risk to live a different future? Oh, sorry, I have two more questions. The last question is, where in your life do you need to be born again? Right now in your life, where do you need to be born again? I'm just gonna throw this out there. 
Maybe you've never asked Christ to be part of your life. Maybe this idea of being born again is new to you. But you know that this needs to be changed to happen in your life. I would say it's really easy. It's a, a prayer. It's saying, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I want to acknowledge you as my savior. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. We're going to have a moment of prayer here in a little bit. If that's something that you want to pray, you can pray it, and then afterwards, come talk to me. For those maybe you're, you're like me that have grown up in the church, we still need moments where we're born again. We still need moments that whatever direction I was changing, I need new life. That Ezekiel passage, it talks about something great, something different, something better. And where sometimes we're like the Israelites out in the desert. We wander, like as I wander back and forth on the stage, we wander and wander. And we forget the trust because it's too hot. Things are too hard. Things are too difficult. But there's a time for us to be born again. Born of water, to be clean, and a spirit. I believe the spirit guides us. We have the spirit of God in us that we live out who God is around us. It's time to live that out. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.